Welcome, everybody, to this Edge of Mind podcast, where I had the wonderful opportunity to talk to Dr. Nita, a dream yoga master and a Tibetan physician, all about the extraordinary role of dreams in the world of Tibetan tradition. We talk about dream interpretation, how we can use dreams for the purposes of healing, and how the body can send up messages, kind of diagnostically, within the arena of the dream. We talk about the difference between universal dream symbols and personal ones before transitioning to the topics that concern the spectrum of dreams, the place of prophetic dreams, And in particular with dream yoga, the unique mantra and the unique special deity associated with dream yoga. Do astrological confluences play a role in our dreams? As a physician, Dr. Nita talks about the place of diet, meditation, and other factors to create the preliminaries so important for dream yoga. We talk about depression, the place of Tibetan medicine in the world today, and the importance of living organically. Then we talk about reductionism. Does the East have its own version of reducing everything, in this case, into karma? Is there a universal consciousness? Dr. Nita is a unique, rare, blend of scholar practitioner and as you'll see a treasure trove of information in the world of tibetan dreams welcome everybody to this edge of mind podcast where it is really my complete honor and delight to introduce to you the extraordinary work of that dr nita tenangsang who I met uh, at Menla in a virtual event some two years ago and was really deeply impressed with his understanding, his experience of dream yoga, Tibetan medicine and the like. And so I will read a very short formal introduction and then launch into, I think, some really compelling provocative material. So Dr. Nita is a traditional Tibetan physician and lineage holder of the Yutog Nintig the unique Vajrayana Buddhist spiritual healing tradition of Tibetan medicine. He has published several books and articles on Tibetan medicine, meditation, and yoga, and his extensive research and revival of ancient Tibetan healing methods has earned him great acclaim in both East and West. And I can certainly echo the acclaim, and I want to start right at the beginning with a, um, a real plug for this absolute gem of a book. This is a total pardon the pun, a total sleeper in the Western world, the Tibetan art of dream analysis. But in this 130 pages, Dr. Nita, really, this is, this is like a distillation, a seed syllable, um, an outline of the most compelling material. There is, in this teeny book is so much tremendous material. And so I hope to introduce you to not only this book, but Dr. Nita's remarkable work. And, and one of the things that really makes him so marvelously gifted is his unique talents, the juxtaposition of both dream yoga expertise and um, medical expertise as a physician. And so I thought what we would explore together, Dr. Nita, is perhaps the central narrative of how we can use dream um, for not only spiritual awakening, but for physical healing. So this wonderful bridge that you create between these two dimensions makes your offering particularly unique. So first of all, the deep bow of gratitude for taking time out of your very busy schedule to speak with us. And if I can start with, with one question, it is, um, many people are familiar with dream yoga, but but a lot of people still aren't. So if someone was to ask uh, you, why bother with dream yoga? 
why should I consider interrupting my precious sleep where I put a do not disturb sign every night? Why, what does dream yoga really have to offer me? Sorry, uh, I think our internet is uh, unstable. Well, it's, it's okay from our end, if you, just so far as you know. There's been no breaks. Yeah, yeah. You, you are frozen. I didn't hear your, your question. Can you repeat your question? Oh, okay. Please? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, if someone was to ask you, uh, why bother with dream yoga? My sleep is so precious. I put a big do not disturb sign when I go to sleep every night. What does dream yoga have to offer me? Why should I bother with it? <clears throat> well, um, <laughs> dream yoga. <laughs> So we can call it, uh, in this case, we can call it uh, dream yoga. It's a mindful dreaming, you know. So in normal life, yes, you know, I have my normal life. Why should I meditate? It's something similar question, right? And uh, yeah, you have a normal life. And uh, are, you, are you happy with your mind? Are you happy with your uh, emotions in your daily life? And uh, I think mo many people, they are experiencing more negative feelings and stress and these things, you know, the, the, the life pressure and stress and so on. So that's why if you do meditation or mindfulness, it helps you, you know, to, to calm you down and to have more clarity in the mind and uh, more stability and joy. Very similar. The question is very similar. You are dreaming, but it's not like you really have to, you know, change your normal, ordinary dream, and then you have to do something else. You you need to be more mindful about your dream. And uh, I um, I read one short article in the past. It says uh, more than sixty percent of dreams are more kind of disturbing. You know, <clears throat> that's what research says. So therefore, of course, if we are having happy and nice and calm dreams, I think, which is good. But if we are, you know, like uh, having stressful dreams or challenging dreams, then, then it's good. You know, you're mindful about that. And then you are also able to, um, yeah, to work with it. And so is it really, uh, Dr. Nita, how available is this practice? I mean, can anybody with a proper intention and aspiration practice dream yoga are there as a medical doctor are there any contraindications are there some people that shouldn't for instance um explore well um yeah people are asking what is the origin of the dream yoga and uh, <clears throat> i think the probably the dream yoga is originally it's connected with this uh, buddhist philosophy the eight uh, <clears throat> uh, eight signs of the illusions you know and one of the main uh, sign of the illusion is a dream so i think that is a kind of original uh, uh point you know where they start to talk about uh, seeing dream as an illusion and then we have the in real life we have illusory body yoga and the dream itself as an illusion state <clears throat> so that's why of course uh, dream yoga is not for everybody you know or yeah it's like any uh, other meditations 
for instance, I would say if somebody is already having a delusional disorder, yeah, yeah, <laughs> delusional disorder, or maybe some people are already uh, experiencing difficulty of sleep. Like I also would say bipolar conditions, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Yeah. Any bipolar conditions, so, so they have disturbed the sleep, and you know, they can't fall asleep or waking up. And then, plus, if you try to do dream yoga or engage with dreams, then it increases, you know, too much stress, and that can that can cause some disturbances. So that's why before you do the dream yoga, I think it is important to check well the 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 you know the person's uh, mind the state actually if this person is uh, ready for the dream yoga or not right yeah so someone who has at least a, a firm relatively firm grounding in conventional reality someone who's not suffering from exactly dissociation exactly. or depersonalization disorders and they're probably going to be okay exactly yeah yeah this yeah 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 uh -huh. Well, the one thing I want to explore with you right at the outset that that I have to say when I read your book a couple of years ago that surprised me was the actual the title itself and the content of this book, the Tibetan Art of Dream Analysis, because my understanding and I think it it, it, it is in resonance with what you say is that dream yoga generally is really not that interested in dream content, just like meditation really isn't in dream interested in thought mental content it's more interested in relating to that content but yet a great deal of this book is really about dream interpretation which which quite surprised me and this is the comment i want to share that you write in your foreword dr nita that i would love for you to talk further about because this is really a, a very provocative statement to me in tibetan medicine mm -hmm. dream study is also a specialized form for diagnosis and, and prognosis, long practice by Tibetan doctors, end quote. And this is actually a very interesting thing um, to enter almost into the, the realm, uh, I, I can't really say psychology, but the more uh, interpretive role that people generally don't associate dream yoga with. So can you talk to us a little bit more about the, the essence of this book and how you in your um, professional work work with so, the patient the yeah. client <clears throat> mm -hmm. so that's the uh in this my book i tried to express uh, three aspect of dreams uh number one is the ancient shamanic dream practices you know people are interested in prophetic dreams and uh, clairvoyance and so on and so in my book, there's a, there's a, like a, I call it crystal practice. You know, there's a little practice about that. So I, I really like that, uh, that part. But this one is only just, you know, somebody want to see their future clairvoyance. Yeah. And uh, then the second part is the medical part. And the, the part you are reading is the medical part. Mm -hmm. And actually, you know, we uh, in the Soharikpa, <clears throat> the doctors normally we ask the patient about their dreams, you know, what they dream, and then we try to understand through the dreams their conditions, right? And uh, yeah, I think that part is uh, very important because some people or patients 
they they don't know how to express their emotions or their feelings or their relation to the nature and environment. And so therefore, when you ask the dreams and then this, oh, you know, or some some people, they are kind of shy about their feelings and emotions. They don't want to say that, share that directly. So when you ask the dreams and then they always, oh, I have bad dreams or I have strange dreams. And then they start to talk more about these strange dreams. Of course, then we analyze those dreams as, a, you know, like symbolic dreams and also as a very important tool for the diagnosis. So that's why in the most famous Tibetan medical text, which he called the four medical tantras, in this medical tantras, dreams are used for prognosis, you know. And especially when we, you know, actually dreams are, you know, used very, uh, like they have a very important position. So if the, you know, for the prognosis, if the patient is going to make or not, and, uh, you know, one of the main signs is about the dreams. Of course, then we have to analyze the, the symbolic meanings and so on. And uh, then also, you know, like uh, in the Tibetan medicine, the organs are connected with uh, elements. And um, yeah. So also try to under, for example, if somebody says, oh, I dream like I'm cutting woods or burning woods and so on. So that symbolically tells us like uh, maybe in his or her liver is there's excess of heat. There's too much heat energy, you know, or or somebody says, oh, I dream a lot of water and I'm drowning and, you know, or swimming or generally you know, in contact, lots of water. So that refers to the kidneys having too much struggle, too much, uh, you know, kidneys working too much. <clears throat> so actually, you know, <laughs> many people, they dream about uh, water or river or sea, whatever, morning early, because most of us, we are holding morning pee. So sometimes I joke, you know, we maybe... Um, <clears throat> Maybe in our urinary bladder, yeah. it's a half full of urine, but in our dream, maybe seeing us like a big lake. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the urine in the urinary bladder is manifesting like a big lake in the in the dream. And then the person thinks it's, you know, having trouble with that uh, uh, lake, right? Maybe person feels, okay, I need to cross the, the lake, but I can't cross because of, you know, I don't know how to swim or maybe the lake is kind of unsafe and these things. So there's a kind of uh, <clears throat> physiological, neurological stimulation, right? So person's body is a little bit kind of under stress because, you know, physically the person is sleeping and dreaming, but then the body is holding the urine. The urinary bladder is holding the urine. Yeah. So that is causing some stress, and that stress can manifest in the in the in the dream. So that's why you see <clears throat> this one. I'm just giving you a very simple example, you know. Mm -hmm. But then some others are more like a subtle level, like earthquake is related with uh, spleen and stomach issues and so on. So we use uh, dreams, you know, to to analyze about uh, the state of inner organs too. That's, that's incredibly interesting, Dr. Nita, because uh, there's a, a Western researcher who recently died, um, Candace Pert, 
really a revolutionary researcher at the National Institutes of Health, where she writes in, a, in some of her work that very compelling statements that your body is your unconscious mind. And so when, if I'm understanding you properly, when we enter the dream arena, where it's really uh, largely a descent into the unconscious mind. And so if we understand this wonderful connection that Dr. Um, Dr. Pert is saying that what you're saying is that if your body is your unconscious mind, it's as if your, your organ systems, your subtle body, your body as the unconscious mind is, is, is quite literally sending messages to the conscious mind through the medium of the dream. So that in a certain way we can tune in, like you're suggesting, to what's actually happening in our unconscious mind, our body, through dreams. I mean, even Freud said this beautifully from a psychological perspective when he said an uninterpreted dream is like an unopened letter. So there's a couple of things here. Is that a fair statement from your perspective that the body is the unconscious mind and that therefore... Uh, well, uh, I think I wrote in my book, I wrote in my book, I don't think uh, dreams are only our emotions, you know, dreams uh -huh. like a mirror. Dreams, dreams are like a mirror and it can reflect about our, of course, our psychological mental state. Yeah. But also it brings information about our body, you know, energy level, the physical body. And uh, I think in the dream also can, uh, how do you say, we can see or reflecting about environments, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> so in that case... Um, yeah, we can say that the body is uh, unconsciousness, but in the Tibetan view is non-separation between body and the mind. Yeah. <clears throat> the unity of body and the mind. So what is in the mind is manifesting in the body. It's like psychosomatic problems, right? Yeah. The similar way, <clears throat> what is in the body is reflecting or manifesting in the mind. So therefore, dream is the the, the state that, you know, it's like uh, the state where everything is uh, projected on the, and, and showed and we experience. <clears throat> so that's yeah. why sometimes I make a joke. I say I don't uh, agree 100% Western psychology. They are saying, oh, if you have a dream, it's always your mental state or your right. psychological state. We cannot mm -hmm. say like that. So many, many of these things is maybe not the mind is struggling, but body is struggling. But body tried to communicate us and through the dream. This, this leads to a really interesting um, uh, topic, Dr. Nita, where to me, what you're suggesting here is that dreams <clears throat> manifest along a spectrum, that on one level, we have messages coming from, in fact, our psyche and emotions and the like, the classic Western psychological approach. Then we have this new dimension, relatively new for us in the West, that yes, the body can send messages into the dreaming mind, so to speak. But then it's, it sounds like we can extend this even further, um, that we can also then mm -hmm. even expand the scope and say that our dreams can also be interpreting or sending messages from what's happening in the world. And then this leads to the really, yeah. I think, very compelling challenge for Western science and Western approaches to the dream. Whereas, you know, Dr. Nita, everybody in the West Scientists say, oh, your dreams are just the product of neurological discharge in your brain. It's all in here. But the, the final statement here or question would be, in fact, dreams can, um, I think, manifest across this incredible spectrum where sometimes they come not 
only from these dimensions, but from seemingly outside sources, like teachers, like Yadams, Dakas, Dakinis, protectors, that sort of thing. And so to me, this warrants a little bit of discussion, just the extraordinary availability or potential of working with the dream state to communicate with, with all these different states and dimensions of reality and mind. So can you speak to us a little bit about that, about, about all the different ways that not only our mind, well, our body, the world, and others well, can uh, Okay, I think that's good. You mentioned about uh, neurology. And uh, so one part, we have psychology. And then psychological problems, uh, you know, developed mostly mind itself or it has combination combined with the neurology, with the brain, neurons, and these things. So let's say if uh, brain is having some issues, if we have some neurological issues, which is uh, affecting the mind, is you know mind's uh, functional part, and then <clears throat> then their neurological problems are physical problems, and physical problems are manifesting as mental problems, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> that one I'm okay. <laughs> okay. Because the, in the Tibetan medicine is not just the, the mind itself, you know, the, the body part and subtle body part, they're very kind of closely or completely connected with mind. So we cannot separate that mind completely, you know, uh, from the body. And uh, in a way, I think the scientists, if they say, you know, the dreams are just, you know, the your neurological discharge, this and that. They are right, you know. They are right in their limitation. Yes. They are right in their view, because because that that's how much they can understand. That's how much they can measure. That's how much they can say, you know. So I don't against that, but I'm sure in future they will have more understanding about. Uh, the the subtle mind you know understanding of subtle mind you know right so what we call a kind of the coarse mind or gross mind so probably this mind is the one has more things to do with our our uh, how do you say the dimension of the neurology mm -hmm. the brain and you know the central nervous system and so on but that that's what we call it uh, Rakpesem means the coarse and the gross one, you know, mm -hmm. the mind. Why the coarse and the gross mind? Because it needs to depend on the physical, you know, in the physical part, the physical body. And then there's the subtle mind. And then the, the subtle mind, it depends on the subtle body and the subtle energy. And then there's even this extreme subtle. So I know in the Samtantra, they talk, you know, the a gross one, the subtle one, extreme subtle. They go in the three different layers. But my understanding, that layer can go even much more, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, that's why um, the our consciousness, you know, the one we understand, like let's say the brain function, how much we can understand with that. But then there's another level of our consciousness which is beyond of our 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 brain or our nervous system, you know, which is more kind of like a energy field, and that part is more connected, you know. It maybe even something 
more profound than unconsciousness you know mm-hmm. that's probably connected with uh, you know with others or the environment and nature and so on and then i believe also there is a very powerful and very potential uh, like a universal consciousness too yeah yeah <clears throat> but probably the scientists they never understand this because they never ask questions for themselves what is my mind you know they want to understand what is your mind what is his mind what is her mind what he is thinking what she is thinking right so do you think any any scientist that they are able to you know open their own skull and to to dis- dissect their own brain and to go inside their own brain to try to see what is the nature of mind so in that case they you know in that case you know the subject is themselves and object also themselves so for them is something unlogical they can't do it right <laughs> so right. that's why it's always like subject and object of course it's a very dualistic research dualistic idea so and that's why i'm saying in their limitation in their view they are right too but in case in future there will be a real you know revolution about the research about the study you know to the physical dimension try to understand in the non dual state if a scientist can do that i'm sure they have a completely different view and theory about the mind and especially about this universal consciousness so can you say a little bit more about this universal consciousness because it, it it's a very interesting thing um even within the buddhist arena to that isn't languaging that's this usually in the text that i have studied i i i completely agree with you dr nida but um i'm curious if you could say a little bit more about about the so-called universal consciousness and and how we can interface with that how we can cultivate that a more um direct line of communication with it to gain guidance and insight from it because it's very interesting the reason i asked this um dr nida is often people talk to me they challenge me a little bit oh you buddhists it's all this emptiness thing there's no god there's it's all this kind of nihilistic thing and it's kind of scary and i don't want to go there and i i think it's a, of course a misunderstanding but what you're talking about here is is about the embrace you could even say the loving holding environment the embrace of a larger uh, dare we say the word intelligence that can hold us that can guide us that we can actually cultivate through practices like dream incubation and the like to receive support i, I remember very clearly meepam rambeche once said uh, you need to understand that you are not alone and there he was talking about how we can cultivate relationship with protectors and yadams and in the site so i i i realize i'm asking a number of questions here but perhaps the main question that dr nida is talk to us a little bit more about how we can understand what you mean by this universal consciousness and its well, relationship you know, to us yeah <clears throat> actually everybody experiences <clears throat> universal consciousness they just don't recognize right Mm-hmm. when we have when we have a dream we dream about our childhood about our past so in a logic way you know that is a past and we are in present right and so 
let's say in the dream, you dream about your childhood as a little child. And so in that moment, when you are experiencing, you know, yourself being a child, is that just a hallucination, your memory, your projection, projection, or that is real you? And what is different when that little child you saw in the dream, you are convinced 100% that is yourself, you know, and the one you're thinking who you are now, right? Similar way, many of us, we experience the prophetic dreams, you know, about the future. And then, of course, some people think, okay, our consciousness is traveling into the future. Or that that's possible. But in a way, also future is already here. And the same way past is not something gone, it's past is always here, you know. So you see, that's the dream. I think the dream experience is the best explanation about this universal consciousness. And uh, so in the dream, you, yeah, you see those people who already passed away. You can talk to them, you can have conversations. And uh, yeah, in the dream, you can have all kinds of, uh, what do you call it? Like, you know, in our life, we call it impossible things, right? It's impossible to do time travel, go back into the time. It's impossible to time travel, you know, travel into the future. Or it's impossible to talk and to meet those people who are passed away again. No, passed already, sorry, not again. <laughs> right, right. They have passed already. So there's so many impossible things. But it's a simple question. Why in the dream is possible? Right? Why is in, in the body is possible? If we get that answer, I think that is the answer of universal consciousness. It's not only something Buddhist thing. Mm -hmm. Or is not you experience that only if you practice dream yoga or special meditation. It's an ordinary experience for many humans. And so how can we, just to be a little bit more pointed, how can we, outside of dream yoga, how can we cultivate a more direct beneficial relationship to this universal consciousness? And, and also to come back to one thing, uh, Dr. Nita, would you associate in your languaging, would you say universal consciousness is associated with in, a universal intelligence or is, is that stepping outside of what you mean by universal consciousness? In other words, well, is there... When I say uh, universal consciousness is uh, it's, uh, uh, a consciousness which includes everything. Mm. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Yeah, how about that means, that means uh, I think if we realize uh, that uh, state of the consciousness and time is part of the consciousness and space is part of that consciousness. And uh, yeah. And so how can, way. how can we more directly avail ourselves, uh, make um, beneficial relationship to that outside of dream yoga? Are there other ways that you can advise us to, you know, open our embrace and open our minds to um, these principles, to work with them more directly? Uh, we need to relax. We mm. should stop searching. <laughs> mm, we should stop searching. Just uh, being with ourselves. 
and not uh, studying or following too many structured uh, techniques mm. and beliefs and systems, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, yeah, yeah. Because I, I think, yeah, that, that's maybe one of the key points. No, that's really we think we, we think we have to study. We think we have to do something. We think we, yeah. we are the seekers. You know, we need to find and we need this and that. Yeah, yeah. But if you really, truly relax with yourself. Nice. It's because of this universal consciousness. Once you experience, then you get it. But the try to you explain, you know, with more words, maybe you yeah. lose the point, right? So that's why sometimes, you know, I like this uh, Tibetan expression. It's called the Jotel. Jotel means speechless. Nice. Uh-huh. And uh, my favorite quotation from this famous Tibetan uh, scholar, Gendon Chumpel, mm-hmm. is the more you close to reality, you see the nature of the reality, the more... Uh, scholars' words are becoming stupid. Exactly, useless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really exactly not- useless. So that's why, yeah, I I can see the you know the that's why I'm saying if scientists they say oh we are right we are this and that I don't have problem. Yes, you are right in your way. You are right with your limitation. You know, right. And uh, I'm not there so much to challenging them this and that. I just hope one day they will get it too. Yeah, <laughs> it's a exactly. Well, this is this yeah, reminds the dream. Me. You know, the dream. Of course, we we analyze the dreams. We do just if you wake up a dream from a dream about your, you know, about your past in this life, or sometimes you can dream about even past lives. You know, or the those people who already passed away, or the dream. You know, you see about future prophetic dreams. You know, normally we always, oh, how it's possible. Oh, I had a strange dream. Oh, this and that. I often say, if you think you had a strange dream, it means you are a stranger. That's, all. <laughs> well, that's perfect. That's beautiful. If you, if you think you had a crazy dreams, it means you are crazy, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you think you had a stupid dream, it means you are stupid. So it's very simple. <laughs> well, that's what they say. <laughs> The moniker for dream yoga, right? The measure of the path, right? And the Naro Chudrik, right? The moniker for dream yoga is the measure of the path. They're, they're truth-telling. They're revelatory. They show us things. And sometimes, I think maybe this is why it's a little advanced practice. Sometimes we don't want to be so revealed, so exposed. We don't, perhaps some people don't want to be um, so available to their unconscious processes. They, they prefer, one thing I say playfully, Dr. Nita, is that sooner or later, in my experience with dream yoga, it will reveal your passion for ignorance. There is part of us that doesn't really want to go here, that prefers to be Marigpa in samsara and just doesn't want to be so revealed and exposed, right? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, the six yogas and dream yoga, of course, they're very advanced uh, uh, meditations. And uh, <clears throat> but also uh, we we should understand their value, you know, the importance of teachings and uh, <clears throat> all this part. But I think also it is really important to remember that all these high levels are already in the ground level, you know. Mm. <clears throat> Otherwise, we think like uh, 
the high levels is a high peak, it's somewhere else, you know, not on the ground level. And uh, so one very famous uh, Buddhist teacher, I think Jigong, the founder of Jigong uh, uh, Monastery, Jigong School, Jigong Chokpan Jiktan Sumgon. As he says, uh, as he says, uh, the foundational practices are much more important than advanced practices. Yeah, exactly. So I like exactly. that. Uh, ex- you know, I, that I like that expression. And also to truly understand about the Buddhism and the Buddhist uh, teachings and philosophy, instead of we jump in a higher level to try to understand what Madhyamika means, you know what is the emptiness and this and that, I think we try to discover the things, you know, already within with, within ourselves, you know, yeah. Yeah. about uh, our own mind, our emotions, our, yeah, our relationship, you know, our family. And, you know, right. So when we talk about impermanent, we don't need to, make a long list, you know, what are the examples of impermanent? <laughs> we should see an impermanent with with ourselves, with our own lives, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so I think that's why the, the true, the Buddhist the wisdom should be more experiential, experiential than experiment. Mm. It should be more practical than theoretical, yeah. Mm. Mm. So there, there are two things in your book that surprised me, um, Dr. Nida. One was, in the very end of your book, you have quite an extensive list of classic dream symbols and somewhat standardized interpretations. Yes. This is very, this is somewhat a controversial topic, as you know, because in, in many traditional contemporary schools of dream interpretation, uh, dream symbolic dictionaries and encyclopedias are actually frowned upon. I mean, who are we to say that the symbolism of someone in Tibet is going to relate to the cultural symbolism of me in the West? And so can you say a little bit about the promise and peril of having these somewhat standardized symbols for dream interpretation and how much credibility and refuge can we take in that? Like if I have this dream, oh, can I be 100% sure that this is really what it means? Or is this something more culturally specific to a Tibetan Nepali than it is to a, a Westerner? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> That's a good question. <clears throat> and uh, again, in the symbols, I call the some symbols a universe of symbols. Mm. So then it doesn't matter about uh, our culture, religious belief, and uh, you know, all these things. Because uh, I'm very interested in these universal symbols. Why so many people they dream about snake, for example? Yeah, it's a common topic. Yeah. If you uh, live in India, maybe it's it's normal. You know, in India, many places they have many different snakes, and including viper. And if you live somewhere here in California, it's normal. You have. Uh, rattlesnakes you know (laughs) so maybe maybe you see them or maybe you are scared of them and then you dream it makes sense but like in tibet is you know high plateau we don't have many snakes and especially dangerous snakes we are kind of snake free zone you know snake free zone (laughs) 
yeah, but still the many people are dreaming about snake. Yeah. You know, and maybe some people even they never saw a snake in their lifetime, you know, in Tibet. And uh, they, you know, maybe first time they see a snake in the dream. But that snake was a real snake, you know, and they really know about a real snake because they saw a snake in the dream. <clears throat> right. So then that's why I'm saying the snake is a universal <clears throat> dream language. Mm -hmm. Universal <clears throat> dream language. And of course, we call it. Uh, you know, the Naga energy, the spirit and the fortune and sickness and this and that. But uh, <clears throat> I think the the at end the in if the snake is not influenced by mind, you know, emotions because of the phobia, snake phobia or fear and these things. If the snake is the one <clears throat> kind of symbolically appearing. So I think that's uh, representing our subtle body. Mm. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and then the subtle body is a state, you know, it's a healthy state or unhealthy state. If the snake is attacking you, biting you or not, and all these things. And then another interesting, <clears throat> another interesting topic is the losing teeth, you know. Yeah. Many people, the experience about the losing teeth. <clears throat> and also... <clears throat> It has a very similar uh, uh, interpretation in many different cultures, you know. <clears throat> I know in Tibetan tradition, losing teeth means, you know, the loss of some family members. Italians, they have something similar. I asked some African people and they said they have something similar too. Mm -hmm. So some of this, yeah, <clears throat> we cannot say always, oh, it's a kind of cultural thing and this and that, you know culturally like this and that i think that kind of division is a little bit too much mm -hmm. <clears throat> that's why we need to see and we need to understand more this kind of uh, universal dream language and to understand it in a proper way but, but then but, of course everybody yeah. says oh what is the proper meaning this and exactly that? exactly but firstly firstly we need to know that these dream symbols, they are universal for all humans, you know. <clears throat> I think this is already a good step. <laughs> this yeah. is the first step. Yeah. Otherwise, some people, they think, okay, you know, in this my culture, these are good dreams, that are bad dreams. Right. We like this one. It's if we, <clears throat> if we, <clears throat> sorry, if we talk about the dreams <clears throat> in a, in a cultural way. But then there's the most important thing is the individual understanding about uh, dreams, right? Mm -hmm. Individually, what does it mean, the red color or blue color? You like, you don't like. Maybe maybe not something only cultural, something individual, right? Mm -hmm. So in this case, of course, if we go like this, then we cannot say in your culture is this and that. There is something more important than your culture is yourself. And you have your own belief, you know, what is a good sign or symbol in, in, in you, for you and so on. Yeah, so that's why I respect that part too, you know, right? That's like our, our how do you say, our respecting other people. 
And we we might think some people are stupid, but they are they are happy in a stupid way. That's fine for them. <laughs> Our work is not to criticize them. They are happy. They are not harming anybody. And we respect them. That's it. Simple, right? So we don't need to lecture them. Oh, you know, you are stupid. Oh, you have to do this and that. So why why we disturb somebody's uh, happiness with, uh, you know, with a little bit of stupidity? Uh, And, uh, yeah, that's why I think that if we talk about symbols, we cannot ignore these uh, individual symbols, you know, and then the cultural traditions and then the universal. So that's my view. So then, (laughs) And I want to tell you something. I know you are using that's my book and uh, this, and uh, please tell people don't buy that book. Okay. (laughs) We are updating. We we are updating a new one. So hopefully, yeah. Uh, hopefully, I will present you that our new book we are updating. Oh, and, and we want to, yeah. I'm so glad to hear that because there's so much here. Yeah. It's such a rich book. Yeah. Yes, it's a rich book, but then there are some, you know, I want to change the structure and the explanation a little bit, you know, because that one I especially did as a textbook. Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah, we need to presented in a little bit better way. Oh, I'm so, so glad to hear that. About yeah, this, perfect. About, uh, about this uh, universal consciousness. And this, there are some yeah, important uh, updates. So that's why we are working on it. And uh, hopefully people can wait for the new one. <laughs> Fantastic. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. It's very I, told Amazon, I told Amazon they should not sell, but it seems they're still selling, right? You know, that I don't know. I, I bought this several years ago after I took your course. Um, ah, okay, okay. Well, That's the old one. Ah, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, anyway, so, so then, yeah, okay, okay. I just wanted to let you know. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. I'm so glad to hear that because honestly, Rinpoche, or uh, Dr. Nita, it, yeah, I, can't, I can't help but call you Rinpoche because for me, you are a Rinpoche. It's, it's, it's such a... a, we, a condi- we, are, we all Rinpoche. We're all Rinpoche. We, all, we all Rinpoches. That's very important. Well said. Did you, you see the selective view? You know who is a Rinpoche, who is not yeah. a Rinpoche, right? Beautiful. Beautiful. With the with the universal consciousness, we are all precious. We know that. <laughs> That's a wonderful statement. But I'm so glad you hear this book is going to be unfolded because it's like a seed so yes, yes. so much here and, you could create. If you have any, if you have any suggestions, which part we should explain more. Oh my gosh! I'm happy. Or, to send whatever you, you have, please send us. A, oh, send totally. us an email. Okay. Well, I'm yes, happy to you. do that. Cause, yeah, because I was I was deeply influenced by this book, and it's so dense. It's like a textbook. There's so much there that I I'm happy to send some suggestions. But um, Dr. Nita, the yeah, other thing you. I want the the other thing I want to discuss with you is is a more kind of sparky, prickly topic, maybe. And that is this, um, yeah. uh, let me say a couple of comments about this, because I think this is important. You know, in, in the West, as you know, we have this reductionist view that, especially the hardcore physical sciences, we can reduce yes. everything to what my friend talks about. We can reduce everything to frisky dirt, right? Everything can be reduced to matter. And there's some provisional validity. There's some truth to that, but there's also real danger. What I want to talk to you a little bit about Dr. Nita, is when I look at Eastern approaches to reality, I see a similar type of problem 
This is my languaging, which is a type of karmic reductionism where, and you write about this in your book, where, where you say that everything can be reduced to behavioral, which to me suggests karmic sources. And so how do you address the issue? Well, isn't this just the Eastern version of reductionism? Now we're just reducing everything into karma. Doesn't that have its same set of problems as reducing everything into matter does? Can you can we actually really say that everything that disease, for instance, is all reducible to behavioral karmic circumstance? Well, uh, I think the karma we call it the karmic, but the really I think the karma karma means causality, right? Action, causality, cause and effect. Yes. Yeah, exactly. The action of cause and effect. And uh, I maybe in this case more, uh, I'm sure there is a misuse of the word of karma, you know. Mm. And uh, but karma, the action, what kind of action is when the cause and condition combines together that produce an effect. Mm-hmm. And so that is the that is the energy flow of causality, right? And uh, so everything has a cause. Right. And the same way, everything has a condition. And then once a cause meets a condition, and then there is an effect, there is a result. Yeah. Causality. Yeah. So in that case, uh, like, for example, uh, some people, like in the dream, maybe some people are having nightmares, right? Yeah. And I think it's normal we have nightmares time to time, but then is nightmares are not just produced by mind itself. There's a cause, there's a reason. Yeah. Right? So there is a cause and there's a reason. That's why it's a karmic dream in but, a way. But here, let me, is it okay if I um, pursue this just a little bit? Because I think there's a, a, a possible conflation issue here. And by that, what I mean is that Yes, I completely agree with you, Dr. Nita, that everything arises due to cause and effect. Karma is based on cause and effect. And so therefore, to me, the the problem conflation is we therefore reduce everything to karma. So unless you expand your definition of karma to include all of causality, then you run the problem of karma versus behavioral consequences. Do you see the difference here? Yes, yes. Yes, behavior consequences, but it's not karma is always late. You know, karma is always, uh, what do you say? Karma can be repaired. Karma can be fixed, right? Uh So I don't believe there's a kind of karma of fate. You cannot change it. Right. So I believe in uh, there's always a way to change it. And if there is no way to change it, then then what's the, you know, then it's, oh, it's my fate, it's my karma, I cannot do anything. But that's a common way to understand about karma. But my way of thinking, karma is the causality, but it's everything, it's always can be, how do you say, fixable or changeable. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes any sense. It does, and, but... but- I'm sorry, I don't want me to interrupt you. Yeah, yeah. 
but but the I, I guess the, the the thing that that still remains for me, Dr. Nita, is the role of behavior for because mm-hmm. uh, again that 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 to me is the is the potential confusion conflation the, the relationship of behavior to karma because I agree like I said everything is karmic because everything arises based on cause and effect yes, so but maybe the question is is the question returns to what is the role of behavior in the generation of of not just disease but in the in the generation of the arising of the phenomenal world because well I'll just leave it at that what is the role of behavior? in the arising of, of the phenomenal world, because everybody say, oh, it's, you know, mind creates reality. It's just the display of karma. I, I think this is a really big topic, um, important one that could have perhaps be teased apart a little bit. So we understand it better. Mm, I don't understand your question clearly, but well, we, I'm not, I'm not with that. Uh, everything is only creation of mind. So, you know, perfect. We, the, how do you say, in the existence of everything, that's what I'm saying. In Buddhism, we have the only mind, mm-hmm. you know, tradition, symptom, but they say everything is only mind. Just a mantra, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but then in the Vajrayana or in Tantra, so the body is cannot separate from the mind, you know. There's no, like, indivisible. And uh, so if we extend that, and then it's not like we are saying, how do you say, mind can create everything and mind is everything. So, for mm-hmm. example, Long Chimba says, if mind is everything, then then when you are dead, you have no mind, but the house and mountain still remains. <laughs> he said something like that, you know. Mm-hmm. So some people are really believing that mind is projecting everything and mind is making everything, you know. <clears throat> that's that's exactly what I was looking for. So you did ah, understand, okay, okay. you did understand yeah, the question. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I again yeah, yeah. I I see this type of reductionism a fair amount when I look at Eastern approaches. They reduce everything to these karmic kind of um, trajectories. So um, I want to turn a little bit, with your permission, Dr. Nita, a little bit specifically to dream yoga. And is there um, is there a, a, a mantra for dream yoga? Um, is uh, Maybe I'll just start with that. Let's, some specific techniques that can help people enter this wonderful practice. Is there is there a particular mantra specifically for dream yoga that people can recite, for instance, when they're going to sleep, that they can recite when they wake up in the middle of the night, that kind of thing? <clears throat> okay, so I can, uh, yeah, one mantra, you ask a mantra, the shortest is ah. Mm-hmm. Ah. Yeah, just ah, red ah. They can visualize the Tibetan R or Sanskrit R or even English. English is, you know, in the Latin is R, but English is A, right? Uh-huh. You guys say A, B, C. Yeah. So you can visualize that uh, uh, syllable and then the, the sound is R. So, you you know, normally the best is first you say that R, R, R like 21 times. Mm-hmm. 
and verbally with low voice, and then you say that mentally 21 times, mm -hmm. and then visualize the red light is filling your entire body. So that's more like the 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 place where you keep your awareness or concentration in your throat chakra. You know, so throat chakra actually is the the chakra of dream yoga or chakra of the dream. And then similar to that, Dr. Nita, is there, I know in the Bun tradition, they have a, a, a dream yoga, Yadam deity. Is there is there a dream yoga deity in your tradition or in, in uh, Tibetan Buddhism altogether? Yeah, it's a Buddha Amitabha. Buddha Amitabha. Buddha Amitabha is, yeah, Buddha of infinite light. <clears throat> Mm -hmm. And so, therefore, with that in mind, this this is very interesting to me. So, can we then recite like Om Amidewa Khri, his his Tibetan mantra? Could that be a so-called supplemental mantra for Dream Yoga? And can we visualize Amitabha in the throat center, or how can we yeah, engage yeah. Amitabha? Mm. Om Om Amitabha Shri is good, yeah. So then we have the another Dream Yoga, very common one, is called the Om Anutara. Om Anuttara. So the Om, okay. Anu, Om Anuttara, yeah. Om Anuttara is the, 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 the dream, the mantra mostly used, Om Anuttara. <clears throat> and then is and there another? The Yuta tradition, we visualize uh, Buddha, Amitabha, and union, you know. And is that in the throat center, or how do you engage it? Yeah, in the throat center. In the throat center, yeah. In the throat chakra. Throat chakra has 16 petals. Mm -hmm. 16 petals are representing the uh, 16 vowels. You know, that is the, the place where the energy or the light is arising. So that's why it's connected uh, uh, with Buddha Amitabha. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, uh, this is really felt very, very helpful. The other thing that, that you mentioned in your book that's also a, a truly unique contribution if you could say a little bit about this, is the role of um, astrological confluences. Like you mentioned something very interesting because people sometimes tell me that Dr. Nita, oh, my dreams are aligned with the cycles. When there's a full moon and the new moon, I notice a change in my dream patterns. So can you talk to us a little bit about the role of um, Tibetan astrology or astrological principles in relationship yeah. so, to the dream world? Yeah. <clears throat> so um, actually, you know, this is one part of that we cannot say everything is by means, right? Because <clears throat> we are, our human, like our body, it's a, um, you say it's a, our body has a biological uh, clock. And uh, I think it's the same thing also with our plant, right? The plant, how they, how they survive, you know, the plant yeah. uh, in different seasons, right? Circadian rhythms. Flower, flowers, yeah, flowers are more in the spring and maybe the stronger trees are in summertime and then they have fruits in fall. And then the winter, you know, so in, in in Tibet, for example, in winter, you don't see green leaves anymore. And then in spring starts again. 
So the way how a tree or plant is surviving through the four seasons, according to seasons, and so plant has a perfect, uh, you know, plan how to survive in different seasons, and our body is the similar way too. Hmm. So this is the our body as a biological clock. It goes according. It it changes its nature according to four seasons. So this is the the first uh, how do you say big influence astrologically, mm-hmm. and then the next one is every month, mm-hmm. right? Every month, then that means it's changing in in twelve times in a year, like zodiac signs and so on. Then every month reducing, like every every week, right? Every week, and then every week again we have different. Uh, the planetary influences. For example, when we say Monday, Monday, Monday is the day of moon, right? The moon is influencing more. Uh, Monday, Sunday is the day of sun. <clears throat> so in, in the Tibetan tradition, if you are born in Sunday, you are called the Nima, it means the sun. Mm. Mm. If you are born in the uh, Monday, you are called the uh, Dawa, it's, it's called the uh, uh, moon, right? So, you know, we, that day we received this uh, planetary or this uh, astrological influences. And so, you know, these ones are influencing our, how do you say, our energy, our energy field and our health uh, state and also emotion, our mind, right? And so that's why dreams are also connected with these things. Sometimes we are having different dreams. It, 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 can, be, it can be because we are receiving astrological influences. Hmm. And I'm, what I said is uh, to experiencing the universal consciousness best is dream time, because hmm. I think dream time, you know, this, uh, this uh, gross mind is kind of sleeping and resting. And the subtle mind, mm. it goes more the universal. This I'm not saying the subtle mind, the universal mind creates everything. This subtle mind is connected with everything and receiving information from everything. Mm. So that's why sometimes our dreams are influenced by just the astrological forces. You know, mm. this mm. Uh, this is really unique contribution but then of course if we see the if we see the how do you say astrological influences then you know there are different uh, studies about different forms of astrological things you know but i'm not saying only one system makes so makes sense for the dream all systems they make sense for me mm-hmm. but they are always kind of explaining in a different way you know but the problem is in the beginning, if you try to understand, maybe it's too many things, you get confused, right? <laughs> that's, not a, that's not the problem of astrology. That's just a problem of confusion. But if you're, not under, if you're not confused, then astrological study itself is kind of, can be like the layer of the onions. It has different layers, you know. But if you see in their own way how it's influencing us, I think that really makes sense. Mm. And this is the reason why I'm saying, so there are two important things. One is I like Western uh, psychology 
because Western psychology is good for analyzing things, you know, mm-hmm. to make things clear and to put things in different boxes, labeling. <laughs> Western psychology is expert for labeling and uh, setting up the boxes and putting, you know, different minds in different boxes. And this it has a kind of very clear and nice structure and, of course, with lots of studies and so on. But then sometimes Western psychology also stuck with the similar problem with the Buddhist only mind, only mind school. You know? Everything is your psychological problem. Everything is this and that. You know, they have also their kind of boundary. And, uh, and uh, I, I disagree that part. So I like their system, make everything clear. I like that part. But then also, if you say everything's a mind, then I'm not with them. Mm-hmm. And then then I I like uh, the, maybe I don't know, Tibetan or the way how I see things is not everything's just the mind, you know. For example, some people are having bad dreams. Is not, is, is not the, how do you say? Is not they're suffering from anxiety. Or is not uh, the people who are often having the bad dreams, they are suffering from PTSD, you know. Sometimes they are eating wrong dinner. They drink too much alcohol and they are sleeping in the wrong position. And the body is struggling because of the diet, you know, because of sugar, because of alcohol, because of fat, because of carbs, because of overeating. Body is struggling. So that body is struggling, is manifesting in the dream, you know. Mm-hmm. Body is telling us, saying, hi, hi, you know, I'm stressed and I'm I'm, I'm kind of, uh, how do you say, I'm fighting with you. And then, of course, we have the fighting dreams, right? So that's why I think sometimes the cause of dreams, we cannot blame to only w- what happened to you in the past and what is your psychological state. We have to see what you have drank, what you have eaten. <laughs> right sometimes it's very simple and i know many people they have high blood pressure and they have very stressful dreams mm-hmm. so i don't blame ptsd is the cause of these uh, nightmares or bad dreams and in my case that case i know high blood pressure you know high blood pressure is the main cause of the the, the bad dreams and especially maybe, they, you know, even they are taking medications, maybe the medication they take in the morning and the evening, then they take, you know, eat more salt or drink alcohol or eat more unhealthy food and then go to sleep late, you know, right? Yeah. And then some people, they are suffering other phys- physical conditions, you know, uh, apnea, and because of also the apnea, because of different reasons. You see, this part is something very simple. That's why when psychologists they go, they say, oh, it's just your mind. Oh, it's your stress. Oh, you are your story. Oh, blah, blah, blah. Sometimes I'm saying, if we say, okay, the cause of your bad dream or cause of your bad feelings and cause of your bad mood only to saying, only something about your past life, you know, the, the, your past in this life, yeah. or your psychological state, or your stress. We are all right. 
we are all right, but that sometimes that's not the key point. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So if you say, okay, I had a bad dream. Oh, it's your stress. Who is not stressed today? Right. 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 <laughs> right. Oh, it's, you know, oh, you have a bad dream. You are trauma. Who is not traumatized? Yeah. Right? Entire world is traumatized by now, you know, the, the war and invasion and the things like it's it, it's it's happening there in Eastern Europe and Russia, Ukraine, like this. I'm sure in in everywhere, all over the world. So that can affect yeah. <laughs> that that is a global global trauma, right? Global trauma. So that's why I think sometimes when we say, oh, you have this because of this and that, also sometimes it's too much, you know. That's why my personal view is we really need to find the balance. Yeah. We need to find the balance. And also if we talk about karma, we have to be very specific, you know. What is the cause of your nightmare? What is the cause of your this and that? So I'm I'm sure in a way if we really study, we can find why people are having nightmares, you know. And uh, because it sometimes can be big due to the astrological problems too, actually, I want to say that. Yeah. <laughs> then I went with the high blood pressure, bad food and Russian war. But I want to say sometimes some people are having bad dreams because of bad astrological combinations, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. So at one level, Dr. Nita, this is, this is both terribly exciting and terribly intimidating because on one level i first of all i completely agree with you and this is why i love the depth the nuance the subtlety that can be explored here but what what does the poor normal person do with all this information um how do you take this which i again completely agree with and use it to help us understand and interpret our dreams so we, we come back again to the central issue how much of this can we do on our own? Are, are we like the easiest yeah. people to fool? Do we want to really listen to the messages even when we interpret them properly, let alone like where are they coming from? So I think you see, as it would be with, with medicine and healing arts, this is a very complex thing. And so for practical purposes, how, how can the lay person in the best sense of reductionism reduce this tremendous array of valuable okay. information to help them understand yes. and work with their dreams? Um, all right. So then, yeah, that's a very good question. Mm. Yeah, this is the reason I said, yeah, I want to update this my book. Number one, everybody should know where they are and who they are. Hmm. So that's very important. And, uh, yeah, I think the meditators, they should remember that they are not Milarepa, you know? (laughs) (laughs) On one level, I understand what you're saying, right? Yes, and also they should remember they are in the 21st century. They are not in another century. And um, so one thing is we are talking about this, the. The complexity of the dream system, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, the complexity of the, the nature of our life and our connections and so on. So it's an it's a knowledge or it's an education. 
And uh, so the wrong approach is if somebody doesn't know his or her um, condition, right? Or their own nature, and they say, oh, I want to grab everything. So that's a wrong approach. I want to get everything. That's a wrong approach. I want to understand everything now and here. Also, it's a wrong approach. And um, <clears throat> of course, then then maybe you say, then why I say, oh, the universal, oh, this and that, so many things. I'm saying this because the knowledge, you know, the knowledge, the knowledge is infinite, right? And 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 the wisdom is universal. And yeah, it just to study a tree, you know. If you study in biology about a tree, you have to study for many years. <laughs> but you know, that's the no. This oh, that's why I'm not interested in biology. <laughs> but the same way, if we study psychology and dream studies and so on, it takes time. You know, we can digest slowly, slowly. And uh, if somebody is really, really interested, you know, for study, they have to take uh, uh, small steps in the beginning. That's my my suggestion. If somebody says, okay, I don't want to study, but, you know, I want to have more awareness about my dream, my sleep, and these things. And then my suggestion is, don't believe in everything. <laughs> don't believe in everything what you hear. Don't believe in everything what you read. Right? And uh, because... Uh, you know, to believing in something or to believing in different in information or whatever is not uh, the judging what you are hearing is the true or fault. You know, you have to that that's the end the end the end the goal of how to protect yourself. It's better you don't believe in everything in the beginning. You know, until you truly understand. Because otherwise you don't understand and you believe and you jump in and later you wake up in the confusion and the mess, right? So, yeah, that's why whatever you read and whatever you, this and that is, is not good to just believing and jumping and this and that. I know, especially in the dream, if we, like we talked about snake, if somebody can hear about, you know, our talk, maybe yes. this person can dream about snake. Yeah, Hakasan. Yeah. So this we we have to know like we are very sensitive humans and very easily to influence, you know. So that's why the best thing is you try to protect yourself, not believing too much in different systems, this and that. And if you are truly interested in the dream yoga or dream studies, there are two things that are very essential. Mm -hmm. Number one is you have to take care of your diet. Diet. Yeah. You have to think about your health, your physical health. So taking care of your physical health, taking care of your diet is the first approach to, to dream yoga. Mm -hmm. Second? And the second one is you have to start with a very simple meditation. Mm. <laughs> you ask me the mantra, I give yeah. you the shortest mantra. Yeah. Ah, and then I know. Then you ask me, is there more mantras, more Buddhas? This. Right. Right. That, that, 
Actually, that's the problem, you know. Yeah. Oh, I is too short. I need more, you know. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, okay, I need longer mantras. Oh, I need more Buddhas, you know. <laughs> and then because people think like mantras like a money. Money, yes, the more you have, more better is. <laughs> that's about money. Money matters the quantity, right? Yeah. <laughs> mantra matters the quality. <laughs> so that's why even if one mantra just to say ah you are really mindful and you are really relaxed you know and and trust in yourself you know we should not think oh you know i'm not visualizing my yidam i need a yidam too oh i'm not uh, doing a long it, it's called the stress i call it the spiritual stress spiritual many stress. people they push push themselves so hard you know push yeah. themselves so hard and you know they want to do dream, and they want to have a lucid dream, and then at the end they can't fall asleep, and they can't rest, they can't relax. That is perfect. That is so helpful for the insatiable Western mind. That oh, that's too simple. That like that can't be it. There has to be more. I, I need another. Exactly. Like, it's perfect. I need another mantra. I need another yadam. I need another terma. Exactly. When they basically it's just and, and they and they don't understand that you know then they say oh mantra is not working so I say you know my answer I say is not mantra is not working you are not working yeah because you have wrong approach about the mantra mantra om or ahum I'm sure it works and by the way mantras they don't have problem you know you are the one having problems right. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I think people people need to really relax, you know. That's just perfect. Doctor yeah. Nita, this is and so, so I'm saying I'm saying yeah. we have to pay attention, self-care, you know. Mm-hmm. Our our self-care, how to take care of our body. And so we, you know, we have to take care of about lifestyle, about our diet and these things. And then also we should, uh, you know, we should learn the, you know, we should learn the basic methods, you know, that that we can have a good sleep. Maybe we can take some like a soup or taking some, you know, chamomile tea or tea, you know, with a clove, or taking some, you know, I'm not saying the the, the sleeping pills, but uh, some natural substances which support us to relax and also to fall asleep, right? And sometimes we have to know that dream yoga, the lucid dream, it comes when we are completely relaxed. Yeah, yeah. And those ones, those ones dream dream yogas the lucid dreams are much more powerful otherwise we go to sleep with excitement oh i want to have a lucid dream this and that and maybe you will become lucid and then you are so happy you say oh yeah i'm dreaming i'm dreaming i'm dreaming because of excitement you wake up right 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 <laughs> or because of the pressure and excitement you can't fall asleep and because of that kind of pressure and, you know, the, you can't fall asleep, then you blame yourself. Oh, you know, I'm a bad practitioner. I can't fall asleep. This Then it, it creates more negative thoughts, you know. Yeah. Then maybe that yeah. will cause bad dreams. And then you don't sleep well. And then next day, 
you have a bad day. You know, you are very moody, you are tired, and you are feeling, you know, moody and so on. And then you blame to dream yoga, right? Oh, I, I tried to dream yoga. It didn't work, you know. Right. It's a very bad system. It's a bullshit. <laughs> they think dream yoga is bullshit, and they don't realize their self, you know, the bullshit collectors, right? <laughs> oh, I think humor. See, this is perfect. You're, you're a living example of what you're trying to convey here, that humor cracks us up and, and forces us, so to speak, to relax and open, right? So it, it, it's it's just brilliant, Dr. Nita. This is so fantastic. You cracked with my, my bullshit uh, humor. <laughs> right. <laughs> I like it. So let, uh, let me ask you, that, uh, I, this is against, in part my enthusiasm, but this is such a rare opportunity to speak with a real dream yoga master, who's also a physician. Oh my gosh. I mean, how rare is that? So let me, let me, if, with your permission, Dr. Nita, ask you um, again, I'm going to, I'm going to be a little bit extremist here, but I think you'll get the point. Why in, in the, in the West, we have again, amazing medical technologies, incredible, sophisticated, you know, I don't I have to explain to you amazing, all kinds of medicines and analysis and diagnostic tools why should a Westerner be at all interested in something like Tibetan medicine that comes back again? I'm being, I'm not being critical here, but I think you get the idea coming back from a simple, unsophisticated, non-technological society that how can that compare to the modern sophistication and power of Western medical science? Why would somebody bother or be interested. And, and trust me, I have worked with um, Oriental medical doctors, Tibetan physicians. I have tremendous respect for these healing arts, but many in the West don't. They dismiss it. Oh, that's just relegated to the shamans 2000 years ago kind of thing. So how, why, um, the question is for us in the modern sophisticated West, what can um, traditional Tibetan medicine bring? How can it augment our understanding of the healing arts and um, why should we consider engaging in it? Mm -hmm. Okay, so thank you for asking that question. Mm -hmm. And um, I used to have that uh, thought maybe about 20 years ago. When first time I come to in Europe, I thought, okay, you know, I was trained in Swarigpa, in traditional Tibetan medicine, how this knowledge can be useful for civilized Westerners or Europeans. So actually, maybe it was my fear, you know, as you are saying, Western medicine science is so advanced and sophisticated and this and that, right? And um, so I was not that uh, confident in my study, what I have learned and in my knowledge and so on, is not just my, it's not about like, uh, I, I was not confident what I knew. I was not confident to the tradition I was uh, carrying, you know, like sorry, but Tibetan medicine. And uh, yeah, so last uh, 20 years i have been traveling globally many countries and teaching sharing talking with people and now i have a very clear answer and also it's very simple you know and 
modern medical science is is wonderful. You know, there are many, many great parts. But also, uh, they have their own limitations, right? And um, yeah. And then in a general way, uh, modern medicine, you know, modern medicine or the technology and so many things. We have the science, we have the education, and we have so many things. But uh, yeah, maybe everything is completely, you know, corrupted, right? It's a corrupted culture. Mm. Uh-huh. It's everything controlled by power and money. Yeah. If you if you are a very rich company, uh, whatever you want to sell, you pay lots of money to scientists, and they will prove something. Say, oh, something good, something work. You know this, right? Oh yes, I, I'm a I'm a doctor myself. I'm not I'm not I'm not saying yeah. something about vaccine. Vaccine, I like it. I got it already. You know, right. <laughs> I'm saying in many other things. So you, you see a culture, a culture with good motivation, you know, truly altruistic and want to help humanity. And a culture uh, simply, the, the goal is uh, making money, you know, using the power, gain more power, using the money to get more money. So, you know, it's, it's a kind of very corrupted, uh, it, the system is becoming very corrupt. And uh, yeah, there there are good parts, you know, because of discovery of medications and surgeries, and uh, saving millions of life and this and that. But other hand, millions of people, you know, they are depressed, and they kill themselves, and especially the the, the mental disease is becoming, you know, like what the French people this the catastrophic. Mm, yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. And uh, then if you compare to modern people, yeah, modern people, they have everything, what they need. They have cars, they have houses, they have job, they have this and that. But a simple question, are they happy? Right? And do they, do they really know what they want in their life? And sometimes you ask, are they real humans? Of, of course, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not saying something wrong, including myself. You know, because we are this in the modern kind of the society and the wave. So why I'm saying this is, you know, even we say the science is so advanced, and in a way we are losing uh, connection to the nature. Mm. You know. If we lose connection to the nature, and then maybe we are evolving too fast yeah. from human to, to robotic state, you know, right? Human to the robotic or semi-robotic state. So that's why I think it's a, it's a very important point now that we reconnect with nature. Tibetan medicine is not talking about, uh, Tibetan medicine is not talking about, uh, you know, uh, only shamans or only mantras, this and that. Tibetan medicine, it's a natural medicine, which we talk about the uh, importance of the, the human health, you know. 
the foundation of health is uh, uh, is about our diet, about our lifestyle, about our relationship, you know, humans to each other, humans to the animals and nature, the harmony. I think it's a very, very, uh, how do you say, important. It's a very crucial time, you know. Maybe physically, okay, physically you are free from infections or inflammations. But mentally, millions of people are suffering with anxiety. Yeah. Maybe anxiety is billions of humans are suffering from anxiety and millions from depression, right? And uh, so you see, I think that's the, like we humans, we, we walk too far from the nature. Yeah. We are believing too much in the technologies and uh, chemical substances. And I, I, I think we are, we are moving too fast. But then the funny thing is, what scientists, what doctors, what these amazing intelligence people, what they are eating? Have you ever asked? Yeah. They're they're eating they're eating they're eating meat, they're eating pork, they're eating chicken, they're eating potatoes, they're eating veggies, they're eating noodles. And all those foods are thousands and thousands of years old, right? That's a very old diet. Why do you always still keeping the old diet? Mm. Have you ever asked that question? Mm. <laughs> Right? Why do you don't create some like uh, I don't know pink pills and they say oh I, this is my breakfast you know? Then the red one I don't know. Then then another pill like a rainbow one is lunch, and then another one is dinner. Right? Yeah. That 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 can be the future. They say oh that's what our body needs. You know how many protein we need? How many vitamin? How many uh, potassium, you know, how many iron we need. Everything scientifically, perfectly calculated. Take this pill, that's it. Of course, you have to buy it, you know. <laughs> by the way, <laughs> by the way, you have to buy it. And in order to get that pill, you have to work hard. <laughs> right? Totally. So it, it's something very simple. And if you eat potatoes, if you eat meat, if you eat pork, I'm not talking about vegetarian or this. I'm just talking about general human food, right? And we are eating the same thing that thousand years ago, the, what humans ate. And now many people, I'm sure many of these scientists and doctors, they are talking about organic food, organic food, whole food store food. <laughs> Why? Why you need the organic? Why you don't eat some chemicals? <laughs> do you do you do you, do you understand? Song. Oh, are you kidding? Totally. <clears throat> they want to eat organic food because we are what we eat. Organic food is a matter. And Tibetan medicine, we are talking about organic food. We are talking about organic uh, natural plants and pills. And we are talking about uh, how to live organically, mm. right? We are talking about uh, lifestyle, how to live in organically, you know? Orga how, how we can organically rest, how we can organically go to sleep. 
and how we can organically fasting, how we can organically, you know, how we can have an organic human relationship. Not everything is in the rules and conditions, this and that. And how organically we can live together instead of, you know, the social study and uh, datas and the researches and this and that and spending billions of dollars, and then this is the research result. Oh, something interesting. We knew that already. <laughs> we, we knew those things already, <laughs> right? We don't need to lecture the bioscientists to say, oh, finally we discovered sleep is very important for health. <laughs> we knew that thousands of years ago. Yeah. Oh, there's a lucid dreaming, this and that. It's It's a... Maybe it's useful for psychological da da da. We knew that already thousand years ago. Dream yoga, you know. So that's why Tibetan medicine we call soarikpa. Soarikpa actually I translate as uh, the the signs of health and happiness. Mm. So it is a very natural and organic signs which teaches us and which, you know, gives us all information how to live organically. And we should remember that we humans are organic humans, right? Sometimes we talk about organic food and then we forget ourselves. So if you know that you are organic uh, human, and then I think Tibetan medicine, you know, many natural medicine is very normal, very usual, you know, it's, it's, it's just a part of our life. Mm -hmm. Do you understand? So that's why I really have this. This is the reason I'm saying Buddhism, we should not leave it as a theory. Yeah. It should be a practice, right? Yeah. It should be a practice. You know, the word of Buddha, the word of Buddha means wake up, right? Yeah. Wake up from anxiety. If you are able to wake up from your anxiety, you already did a Buddha. I call it a mini Buddha, by the way. Mini Buddha. Mini Buddha, yeah, mini, mini Buddha. waking up. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Because anxiety is a suffering, and you wake up from that, you freed yourself from that suffering. So we, I, I don't say you are the enlightened Buddha, but you did Buddha in a way. You know, you freed yourself from anxiety or from panic attack, you know, or from phobia or from depression, right? But then people people just simply got lost. They don't know what to do. And depressed people, they think, okay, the safest place is my room. And then they lock all their doors and they don't want to talk with anyone and this and that. And saves the place for depressed people is not yeah. their room, is not their nor their home. It is the nature. Yeah. It's the nature. They need to go back to their real home, you know, the home like thousand years ago. Beautiful. So that's why I think I think it is a time for really the I'm not saying only Tibetan medicine, the natural medicine. Yeah, as I said, 20 years ago, I was lack of uh, confident, you know, what I was doing, what I, what I have learned. 
I was lack of confident and today I gain confident. It's not because I just saying, you know, Tibetan culture is amazing, this and that. I see in reality, you know. You know, I I I, I lived uh, here in the West Europe and you know, in the West more than 20 years. So I experienced, I saw, and I I'm always uh, I'm very kind of socializing person, you know, I engage. I don't say, oh, I'm Tibetan, you know, I just stay as a Tibetan. I try to be with other people, to understand other people. The more I see them, the more I see their conditions, and especially the mental levels is suffering this, the more I really wish, you know, that Tibetan medicine and, you know, Soharikpa, this kind of medical system, will spread more and help people, you know. Mm. So that's why um, I want to do a little publicity. <laughs> By the way, we are, we are launching a kind of new uh, program. We want to, like, as I said, you know, even the spiritual people or Buddhist people, I think it's very important to learn about their health first, you know. Body health, mental health, and a healthy eating, healthy way of living, and then plus Buddhism or spiritual, whatever, then it's very safe and very healthy. So therefore, you know, we we normally we train uh, kind of professional people. They study Sorikpa for a few years, and then or you know people just study in the external, you know, Tibetan therapies like massage and herbal baths and all these things, and. Um, but now, finally, uh, from this year, we want to launch a new program. It's uh, about, uh, yeah, 100 hours, right? It's about 100 hours of training in, you know, stretched in one year. And uh, we want to say the Soarikpa or Tibetan medicine for self and family care. Mm, wonderful. So this is the, our program we really want to present for the public. And this way, you know, people can really understand what Soharikpa is. And then also they don't need to commit to become a Soharikpa doctor or practitioner, you know, this and that. But you, you really get uh, uh, basic knowledge about uh, Tibetan medicine and how, you know, this knowledge is enough to to look after yourself and some of this you can use this also for looking after your elderly parents or about your kids or about your partners or about your friends even you know about your community mm -hmm. so that's why yeah we are very happy actually i come here pure land farms you see i'm in the beautiful yurt i always say it's the best place for dream yoga yeah and uh, and um, yeah, so we are very happy to finally we make this decision to launch about this, uh, yeah, new, our new program. Oh, Dr. Need, I'll have Christiana send me the link because the, one of the charters of what we do with this platform is we uh, the vision of cross-pollination where we introduce my population to your work. We love to direct um, folks and support what you do. So if, if you can send me the link to that, We'd be more than delighted to share that with our population so that we can help you. And so you've been unbelievably Thank generous you. with your time, Dr. Nita. As we start to close up for today, oh my gosh, I could talk to you all day. I want to, I want to talk to you a little bit about 
Um, last question, perhaps. We just have to open our eyes to see the the extraordinary dark age that we're living in. Um, I don't need to go through. Uh, we all know what's happening. How do we uh, maintain any sense of optimism? Dachnan, um, the view of basic goodness, perfect purity. Pardon my expression here, but that's gone to shit. Uh, where? How do we maintain a quality of healthy optimism without deluding ourselves? Um, as we look forward to the future, as you throw your crystal ball and look through your crystal ball into the future, what do you see? What is, as a, as a physician and a spiritual practitioner, what do you see as the prognosis? We know what the diagnosis is, <clears throat> complete dismemberment, complete disconnection from nature. That's the diagnosis. We have a sense of what the prescription is. We've talked about that. What do you see as the prognosis? Uh, when I look at the data, it's it's so depressing. It's so, uh, uh, as you know, just it takes all your lungta away from you. How do you maintain your optimism, your lungta? What is your prognosis? How can we look forward to anything in this age of such depression? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I, it's a very important question. As the Buddha said, the darkest the night is ignorance. You know, so we are we are all kind of this dark time. That's uh, due to very few people's ignorance. You know, and uh, yeah, few people have this <laughs> like a super ignorance and. Uh, confusion and that brings so much suffering for you know for humanity and for so many of us and uh, yeah we know the the dark night is uh, intense and uh, and harsh and horrible but uh, <clears throat> you know <clears throat> the <clears throat> we also we also know that sun is there you know not arised yet so, so you know. So that's why what I what I believe is, and there is the dark time, and dark time is like a dark night. And the main cause of the dark night is the ignorance. Is not ignorance of uh, all humans, but very few people. And uh, we we know, <clears throat> knowing and uh, that we are sure, the sun is arising soon. You know. The light is coming soon. I think in the your expression is uh, seeing the light end of the tunnel, right? Yeah, that's your expression. So our expression is uh, after the dark dark night, there will be a, the bright day. I really believe in that. Yeah. <clears throat> so with that, with that. Um... Dr. Nita, last really last question. Um, how can we best help the people in Ukraine? Uh, how can we best help the Russians who are trying to work with it from their side? Um, can you speak to us with some, some closing advice to be of benefit to others halfway around the world in, in such times of tremendous duress? Yeah, I was thinking about that question. I think the best thing what they need really the local people you know 
the care for elderly people and women and kids, you know, the shortage of food and clothes and so many things, you know. Of course, we offer our prayers and many things, but uh, the, you know, really basic elements, you know, what they really need, many places are missing there. And uh, so I'm just uh, waiting. I, I think also in your group, it, if you can make a connect with a local group directly to helping, uh, I don't know, mm-hmm. what do you say? For the, the local people, especially elderly and, you know, women and, mm-hmm. uh, and especially also children and so many children are suffering. I think that would be very, very useful. We have a group in Ukraine. We try to, you know, contact with them. And then, yeah, I was told some of our group members also, they had to join the local army. So it's a little bit sensitive. We try to organize. You know, we try to organize. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Dr. Nita, this and, is... Really- uh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, one, another thing <clears throat> what I need to tell you is each time, you know, when there's this uh, kind of disasters and many people, uh, you know, people are suffering. So there is a physical suffering and then the bigger suffering is the mental suffering. That's the main pain, you know, right? And, uh, you know, so many people are traumatized and they are really, really, you know, this mental suffering level is very, very strong. And of course, we also want to do the Soarikpa Tibetan medicine aid. Actually, we have a, a little project. We are working with this, and we did that. Uh, and after earthquake in Nepal, you know, when I said uh, we should help with uh, Tibetan medicine, herbal medicine for earthquake zones, and some people are laughing at me. They said, "Oh, you know, they need uh, emergency medicine and this and that." I said. Probably the, you know, probably herbal medicine can be useful too. You know, then we send many doctors with Tibetan herbal medicines. Actually, that was more uh, beneficial than the emergency part. Of course, emergency was uh, good too. But then so many people are being traumatized and emotionally they are suffering so much, you know. So then, you know, giving Tibetan therapies and herbal medicine for relaxation, for better sleep. These things, it really, really helped a lot. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm thinking also to, for in our side, we try to do something like that, you know? Yeah. Hey, thank you so much. Um, I, I'm so honored to have spent this time with you and, and you're, I always have to remind myself, you're, this is not your native language. You have such a facility with English um, it's remarkable. And, and if Christiana feels comfortable stepping up next to you, if she wants, I, I also want to support oh, that would be great. Yeah, your thank you so much. what she's doing. Thank so you. if Christiana's there, she can come around. Yeah, the hopefully, hopefully you guys understood my English. <laughs> your, your, your English is, is definitely my, my Tibet, Tibetan, Tibetan, Italian, English accent. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. Thank, so thank welcome. You so if Christiana wants to say thank something you. about Pure Lands Farm. Are you there, dear? There you go. If you can say something about what you're Hi. doing there with your mission to our, to the group, that'd be awesome. For sure. Hi, Andrew. Hi, everybody. Um, so we're joining you here from Pureland Farms. It's a small center located in Topanga outside of Los Angeles. 
and uh, we have about 10 acres here. We have six uh, Mongolian yurts like the one you see, and we have a temple that is dedicated to the founder of Tibetan medicine, Yutogyundan uh, Gongbo, so a small temple where we, we, Dr. Nita and our students teach practices in the Yutogyundic lineage of Buddhism, which is a practice connected with Tibetan medicine and connected with healing, so a Vajrayana practice. And then on top of that, we run the Tibetan medicine school called the Soarip Institute. So now these last few years, we've been, you know, doing mostly online programming because of the pandemic, and we continue to do a lot of online programming. But then, you know, we open up here slowly for small retreats and for courses and workshops. So really, wherever you are in the world, you can connect with us. And then if you want to have the experience to be here in person and to immerse yourself a little bit, as I mean, we're in Los Angeles, but you don't feel like you're in Los Angeles. It's very um, rural. And I'm sure you heard the birds this last hour that Dr. Nita was speaking. So, you know, we organize small retreats and also it's a place you can come and do some personal retreat and that can be you know a formal personal retreat or also just to sort of rest and practice and be in the dream state and you know i'll send some links over and you can join us online or perhaps in person at some point in the future thank you christiana thank you so much and then also i i work with dr nita to publish his books like like he said we're working we will work on a new dream book and and we have some other publications both on tibetan medicine and so we have a publishing company called Sky Press, and we, we're working on, on sharing a lot of these teachings uh, through publications. Yeah, right, right livelihood, right? Fantastic. Thank you so much for all your help behind the scenes. You Thank you. It's been such a delight. And really, one last comment for all my listeners. Now you know, people often ask me where, where are the Dream Yoga Masters? Well, you just spent two hours with one. Um, amazing, amazing individual. And whatever extent I can encourage people to study with him to support what you're doing, Christiana, with Pure Lands. It's really an honor and delight to, to make this connection with you both. And really, thank you so much for all your support and uh, dear best wishes and let's stay in touch. Yeah, thanks everybody. See you soon. Well, that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining us. And of course, a really big, deep, warm thanks to Dr. Nita for sharing his vast resources and knowledge. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out all the other sessions on our Edge of Night platform.